0: that I was here, we were just surviving. We were in survival mode. But I thank God that we've moved out of that and we're in thriving mode now. And we're seeing the wonderful things that God is doing among us. But I want to participate in the fullness of what God has for us, don't you? So today I want to talk to you with this thought in mind. I want to ask you this question. What effect does a worship experience have on your life? That's our thought for the day. Experiencing worship. What effect does a worship experience have on your life? Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face. For I am lost. I think in the King James Version it says I am undone. And it says, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said... Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray now that you will help me to be able to preach effectively, to speak and say that which you have put upon my heart today for this congregation. I know you will, because you will never allow your word to go forth without it accomplishing everything that you've sent it to do. And so it is with great confidence that I thank you in advance that you will touch our hearts with your word today, for we have asked it in Jesus' lovely name. Amen and amen. This is one of the most picturesque stories that we find in the word of God when it has to do with worship. You know, we talk about worship a lot around here and in the church world today, we talk about worship a lot. We do worship a lot. In fact, the statistics will reveal to us that millions of people around the world, maybe even more than that, will be gathering in houses of worship today so that they can experience what we often call a worship service. I prefer to call it a worship experience. Because if we are worshiping effectively, then I would say to you that we can experience the fullness of God as we worship. And as these individuals come into houses of worship, they will recognize very quickly that someone, the pastoral staff, the staff members, the volunteers, have been working very hard to create an environment where we can come in and we can worship the Lord and give Him the glory that He is due. The fact of the matter is, is that He already possesses all of the glory that He will ever need. But what we need to experience is that glory that we see in our mind's eye and in our spirit as we worship him. O.S. Hawkins, an author, wrote these words. He said, our worship, our work, and our play have become grossly out of balance. Many of us play at our worship. We worship our work. And we work at our play. I don't know about you that there are times in my life when I can feel that I am out of balance spiritually. It doesn't mean that I'm a sinner. It doesn't mean that I am out with God. It just means that my priorities are not in order. And we find ourselves doing different kinds of things with different levels of commitment. And so what I would suggest to you today is that a worship experience, like I'm talking about today, is going to take some effort on our part. It's going to take commitment, and it's going to have to become a priority in our life. So there are three evidences that I want to share with you this morning that will let us know when we have worshiped the way that God intends for us to worship. And for worship to do its work in our lives, these are three things that need to be evident in each worship experience. So the first thing is this. There will be what I'm going to call the upward experience. It is where we see God's holiness. Bill, will you give me just a little more in the monitors, please? It is where we will see God's holiness. Now, let me give you some historical context from which this passage is written. We, that, that's a little too much, but you'll get there. I, I, it, it was Friday, the 13th Friday. Maybe that's still happening around here. I don't know. Anyway, it is significant that Isaiah began this passage of scripture by saying in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, King Uzziah, we have to understand, was the 10th king of Judah. He, He ruled there for approximately 52 years, and he was a very popular and a very successful king. Under his leadership, the nation of Judah had risen to great prosperity. Everyone was experiencing prosperity in a level like never before. Not only that, but spiritually the nation was, was growing in their relationship with God. He sought the Lord. He was a spiritual mentor to many of them. When you look at the history of Uzziah, you discover that he was a king that did not rule by earthly standards, but he sought the Lord, and he was a spiritual man. And so they could understand that, and they too grew in their spirituality. Not only that, but he believed in a strong national defense. So Judah was able to sleep at night and rest and not worry about whether or not that they were going to be attacked or they were going to have some rogue nation come in and attack them because they had a strong national defense. In fact, he was the only king that many of them had known. He had ruled for 52 years. So this king, this Uzziah, was the only political leader that they had ever known. But then something happened to Uzziah. The, the historians tell us that he contracted the disease of leprosy, which meant that he had to be put away in the sense that he had to be confined and could not be with other people because of their the the the, the disease being spread so quickly. So he's put in isolation and in isolation he dies. And so King Uzziah here is dead. And Isaiah says, in that year, in that moment, when our nation, Judah, was thrust into chaos, we lost our loved leader. You know, I think about that, and I think about times in my own life when we had those moments. In fact, just this last week, we commemorated the day when the Twin Towers in New York were attacked. We got up that morning in America thinking that everything was fantastic and everything was wonderful. And then later in that morning, we discovered that we were being attacked on our own soil. And all of a sudden, that peace and that sense of comfort and that sense of con- contentment was taken away from us. And people were very nervous and concerned about what our future ho- held. And so, that is what. Uh, Isaiah is trying to get across here that in that moment when Uzziah died, he said, in that moment, the Lord revealed himself to me in such a way that I could never forget. I saw him high. I saw him lifted up. Even though the earthly king was gone, he realized that the heavenly king had not abdicated his throne. He he hadn't gone anywhere. He was still seated on the throne of glory. He was still in control. And there was no doubt whatsoever that he could depend on Jehovah God. My question to you today, is: you ever been through a situation like this? It may be that there are men and women in the house today that you've lost your Uzziah. You have lost your king, if you will. You've lost that thing that kept you solid and peaceful and content. Something has happened in your life that caused you to enter into this season and this phase of conflict and chaos. Let me remind you today that if you will worship and if you will experience worship, That in that experience of worship, you will be able to see that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, has not abdicated His throne. That He is still seated high and lifted up. He is still holy. He is still mighty. He is still able to do whatever needs to be done in your life. So we see this. Someone said worship is not about us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we sing. It's not about what we say. But worship is about Almighty God. Listen, we shouldn't be worried about what style of music that we're singing. And thankfully around here, I don't have to fight those kind of battles. I just, you know, I know that many churches today, they can't get past Sunday school with having some good argument about what curriculum they're using or what songs that they're singing or what book that they're trying to sing out of or what the preacher's been preaching about. They're so concerned about the stuff and the programming of worship that they can't focus their eyes upon the King. I'm glad that I serve a church today that does not come in and worries about all the logistics of worship, but they just come in with a desire to lift their eyes to the heavens from whence cometh their help. Their help comes from the Lord, and to acknowledge that. I'm thankful that I have a church like that, that I serve a church like that. So the first thing is, is that this worship experience should be an upward evidence where we see the holiness of God. Secondly, there must be an inward evidence where we see and acknowledge our own helplessness. Now we don't like to feel helpless. We don't feel, we don't like, especially in America, we don't feel like to feel like that I can't do this. I had a guy this week tell me that there was something I could not do. It, actually, it was the week before. I was talking with a building contractor kind of thing, and I had my, 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 my picture drawn and how I was going to do it and how I thought it ought to be. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you can't do it that way. And I was first offended a little bit at him, and I thought, don't tell me I can't do it. You know, I'll, I'll do it just to show you that I, can't, that I can do it. And then he began to tell me why he thought I could not do it. So I walked away a little bit discouraged and a little bit disgruntled and a little bit like I wanted to go talk to a different contractor and get my material from someone else. And so I'm thinking about it, but he said, come back in Monday and I'll look over your your drawing here and I'll see what you need and how it can be done and how I can help you. When I went in the next Monday, it was interesting to me that I went in to talk to him and he said, I'd like to begin this conversation by apologizing to you. And I thought this should be good. I've been upset with him all weekend. I'd like to have a good apology from him. And he said, the reason I'd like to apologize is that after I started looking at your picture and all the schematic that you'd drawn up and all the details of it, he said, everything that you drew is exactly right. And I said, would you mind saying that again? No, I didn't say that. I just, you know, some, sometimes if we get one apology, we ought to just settle and say, that's good. That's enough right there but made me feel better because my nature is that I don't like for anybody to tell me that I can't do something if I feel like I can. But I want you to know today that there are certain things in your life that you cannot do without the help of the Lord. In fact, I'm going to go on record as saying is there, it, there's nothing that you can do without his help. Because he tells us, without him... We can do nothing. I want you to notice verse 5. It says, and I said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What he is saying is, is that when I got a glimpse of who God is, then I also got a glimpse of who I am and I realize that I'm not everybody, everything that I can be, and there are some adjustments that I need to make in my life. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are some people that they don't want to know anything about their, their, their faults or their failures or falling short in a particular area. They don't want to know anything about that. Can I tell you that there are times in my life that I don't want to know that either. In fact, Scripture tells us In uh, John chapter 3, verse 20, it says, "For, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Now, isn't it true that when we're guilty, that we really don't want anybody to point out our guilt? And what he's saying here is that there are men and women in the world today that will not come to Christ. They will not put themselves under the magnifying glass of Scripture because they don't really want to know who they really are. But let me remind you that we must know who we are spiritually if we're going to be able to present ourselves as someone who is worthy of God's grace. And so we have to bring ourselves to in. As you look through Scripture, almost always when someone gets a good glimpse of God... They see themselves in such a light that they realize that there's something wrong with me. There's something that I need to work on. There's something that I need to fix. We've already talked about Isaiah who said, Woe is me. But remember Job in chapter 42, verses 5 and 6. He said, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And we like to quote that, but we don't like to go on. Because his next words are these, therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and in ashes. Peter in, chapter, in Luke chapter 5, verse 8 says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. That was after he had seen the glory of Christ in his midst. And then on the Isle of Patmos, we see John as he is seeing the Lord. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And the Lord opened his eyes and he was being able to see into the spiritual realm. And the scripture says that when he saw what he saw, he fell at his feet as though he were dead. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say to you. When we have an authentic worship experience, we will simultaneously see God at his highest and ourselves at our lowest. This is not meant to cause us to grovel in disgrace, but to grasp God's generous gift of grace. Listen, if we can realize that God's not out to get us, he's out to bring us up higher. He's up to help us become the best that we can be. Then we will not be afraid of his magnifying glass. We will not be afraid to allow him to see us as we are. Because when we see ourselves in comparison to him, every one of us will fall short. But every one of us are also eligible to receive the grace of God. I'm glad for that. I want to read to you something that I read this week. It's a short article that was written by a young lady. She's 26 years old. I saw it on Facebook. In fact, I stole this from Stephanie Williams and her Facebook book post. But I've seen it. And I wanted to read this for you today. It's not long, but I want you to hear the sentiment behind her words. It says I'm sitting in a small coffee shop near Nacomas, Florida trying to think of what to write about, and I scroll through my newsfeed on my phone looking at the latest headlines of presidential candidates calling for policies to fix the so-called injustices of capitalism. And I put my phone down, and I continue to look around. And I see people talking freely, working on their MacBooks, and ordering food that they get in an instant, seeing cars go by outside, and it dawned on me that we live... In the most privileged time and in the most prosperous nation, and we have become completely blind to it. Vehicles, food, technology, freedom to associate with whom we choose. These things are so ingrained in our American way of life that we don't even give them a second thought. We are so well off here in the United States that our poverty line begins 31 times above the global average, 31 times. Virtually no one in the United States is considered poor by global standards. Yet in a time where we can order a product off of Amazon with one click and have it on our doorstep the next day, we are unappreciative, unsatisfied, and ungrateful. Our lack of appreciation is evident as the popularity of socialist policies among my generation continues to grow. A well-known congresswoman, I removed her name for the sake of politics, Recently said the Newsweek, talking about the millennial generation, an entire generation which is now becoming one of the largest uh, electorates in America, came of age and never saw American prosperity. Never saw American prosperity. She says, let that sink in. She said, when I first read that statement, I thought to myself, that was quite literally the most entitled and factually illiterate thing I've ever heard in my 26 years on this earth. Many young people agree with her, which is entirely misguided. She said, my generation is being indoctrinated by a mainstream narrative to actually believe that we have never seen prosperity I know this firsthand because I went to college. Let's just say I didn't have the most popular opinion, but I digress. Why then, with all the overwhelming evidence around us, evidence that I can even see sitting in this coffee shop, do we not view this as prosperity? We have people who are dying to get into our country. Isn't that true? People around the world are destitute and truly impoverished. Yet we have a young generation convinced that we have never seen prosperity. And as a result, we elect some politicians who are dead set on taking steps toward abolishing capitalism. Why, she asked. She says the answer is this. My generation, she's talking about her generation, has never, my generation has only seen prosperity. We have no contrast, she says. We didn't live in the Great Depression or live through two world wars. We didn't live through the Korean War or the Vietnam War. And we didn't see the rise and fall of socialism and communism. And then she closes with this statement. And I think we have it for the, the screen for you to see. She said, we don't know what it's like to live without the internet, without cars, without smartphones. We don't have a lack of, lack of prosperity problem. We have an entitlement problem. We have an ungratefulness problem. And it is spreading like the plague. Now, I read that to you today not to be political. I read that to you today to say that there are times that we can look at all the evidences around us and not be able to relate with truth even when we see it. Because our truth becomes truth even when it is not truth. Let me share with you that God's truth is absolute truth. God's truth is what we need to connect with, not what the world says is true. And here's the point I'm trying to make. When we become authentic worshipers, and when we see God as he truly is, he has a way to fix our thinking and to help us to see the real truth and the root of the problems of the things that we are dealing with. The problem is, and so many of us think we already know all the answers. We think we already have it figured out. When the truth of the matter is, is that we don't even know what the root of our problem is. And we go about trying to fix problems that aren't even really the root of the situation that we're dealing with. I don't know how many times through the years I've heard young men and young women who have suffered through divorce say, I'm waiting for the right person. And when I find the right person, I'm going to put them all through all the tests and I'm going to discover who they are. And I'm going to find out about them because I've made mistakes in the past. And that's a good attitude to have. But here's what I would suggest to you. Instead of holding everyone else to a certain standard, I think if we would hold ourselves to a certain standard and say I'm going to be the individual that God has called me to be and I'm going to trust God to bring the right person into my life at the right time so that we can complement one another in the realm of the spirit. I've heard I've heard so Some say when they've been unmarried for many years and have lived a single life, they say, I've lived as a single person for so long. Why would I give that up for somebody who is not worthy of what God has helped me to be? And you know my response to that? (laughs) Hallelujah. It's more important for you to be the person that God has called you to be than it is for you to accept someone in your life who does not meet the criteria that God has for you. Amen. So if you're single here this morning, let me just tell you, God must really think something good of you because He has not weighed you down with somebody in your life who is not worthy of the person that God has called you to be. So if you're single today, stand strong and square your shoulders and say, I am everything that God intends for me to be. Here's the key. We should not make life-altering decisions before thoroughly investigating the root issues. So we need to understand that. So what do we do do now that we find out that we're not as good as God is? How, How do we deal with that information? God's greater than I am. God's mightier than I am. God's cooler than I am. God is more able and more capable than I am. Well, let me tell you something. That's not just true about you. It's true about all of us. God is always greater. He is always higher. He is always better. And when we see that and understand that there are things in our lives that we need to deal with, there's only one way to do that. And that is to cry out and say, Lord, woe is me. I am unclean. I dwell in the midst of people who are unclean. I am unclean. And Lord, I'm coming and I'm bringing myself before you so that you can cleanse me and help me become everything that you want me to be. And here's what the angel did. The scripture says that the angel went over and took the tongs. And he took them a uh, coal from off of the altar. And he brings it over to where Isaiah is. And he touches it to his mouth. And he says, behold, this has touched your lips. And your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. What God needs to do is just purify some of us. What God needs to do is just touch the fire of his spirit to our lives so that we can be purified not long ago jovi and harper that harper were in their house and they were getting ready to leave and and they said they said we want to give you a kiss pops before we leave and one of them i think it was jovi but said said wipe your mouth off before you do and so i yeah i got it good and dry because i know they don't like kisses wet kisses and I've gotten any anymore that I not only dry my mouth but I turn my lips inside out like this because I know they like that better and I think well that surely that'll work you know that's the plan right there but the other day Jovi came up and she said give me a kiss and I dried my lips and I turned my lips inside out and I kissed her and she walked away and she still wiped her mouth off I don't know what it was that she was wiping off What I'm trying to tell you is, is that there are things about us that are not acceptable in the eyes of God, but God does have the ability to touch us where we need to be touched so that we can be pure before him. It's interesting to me, and we're going to see in just a moment that the call of God upon Isaiah's life was for him to use this, this mouth, use these lips to glorify God in the world that he was a part of. And God knew that he needed to be be purified. So lastly, there is an outward evidence. And this is what the Lord has really been driving home to me over the last few months. In verse 8 it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. You know, sometimes when we have a wonderful worship experience, if you're like me, sometimes it feels so good that we just want to stand there in that atmosphere. You know, it reminds me of Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration when When Jesus is talking to the prophets of the Old Testament and Peter is so amazed by it that he says, oh my goodness, we should build tents and set up memorials here and just live here in this moment. That's not at all what Jesus intended to happen. Jesus was letting them get a glimpse of his glory so that they could be more effective in expanding the kingdom of God. But they wanted to stand in the moment. And many times we just want to stay in the moment. We just want to stand in that moment where we saw God's glory where we saw Him in His fullness. And we don't really want to do anything other than just stand there. Listen, I understand that. I understand about being in those wonderful moments. I understand about going to Gatlinburg and riding one of those mountain coasters that goes down. And if you're like me, once is never enough. I mean, you just got to get off that coaster and go right back and get back in line because I'm ready to go down the mountain one more time. I might go down three times. I might go down four times but I enjoy the moment so much that I just want to keep experiencing it. And if we're not careful, we can get in one of those high energy, spirit-led, spirit-charged worship experiences and we just want to stay right there. But let me tell you, God has something greater for us than to just simply stand in this building and experience something that makes us feel good. God has called us. To represent him in this world. See, what happens is, is that when, when, when Isaiah sees him and he says, woe is me, and the angel touches him, immediately God gives him an assignment. Immediately God takes him and puts him into service for the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but when I was a child and I went to school, I wasn't the smartest kid in the class. And uh, I was very well aware of that. Sarah Bledek was the smartest. Everybody else hated Sarah Bledek. I loved her. Not because I wanted to go out with her. I mean, we were only like 10. But I loved Sarah because she always had all the answers. And I'd like to get close to Sarah and listen and hopefully pick up on the answer to the question. Because I had one of those teachers... They would stand before the class and and they would ask this question expecting for the kids to throw their hands up in the air and and have the answer when they are called upon. I was one of those kids that when the question came, more times than not, I did not have the answer. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. It wasn't because I wasn't smart. It's because I didn't care. You know what I'm saying? I just didn't really care so they'd answer, or they'd ask the question, and oh, oh Robbie, as they call me in those days, I'd slink up underneath the desk. Get up under there just as much as I could. Just kind of slink up underneath there. And I would not raise my hand. I'd always grasp my hands together in case the Spirit of God would come on me, and one of them would accidentally go up and say hallelujah or something like that. I didn't want them to call on me because I did not have the answer. But on those days when I'd been friends with Sarah and Sarah gave me the answer, I was sitting there waiting. Come on, you just ask the right one. Just I don't care what it is, just pull one out of your hat. I'm ready today. And the teacher would say, Here's the question for the day. And she would do it, and surprisingly, I knew the answer. I didn't slink underneath the desk. I didn't hold my hands down like this. I immediately jumped up as high as I could, and I started waving my hands vigorously at the teacher because I wanted her to call on me because I knew the answer. And sometimes she did, and sometimes she didn't. But that didn't mean that I wasn't desirous of her call because I was I wanted her to know. And that's exactly what happens here with Isaiah. He gets positioned to the place where he knows that he's got the call of God upon his life and he's ready and he hears in the spirit. God say whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And Isaiah he didn't slink underneath. He didn't sit there. He didn't hold his hands. But he began to vigorously wave his arms if you will at God and say he here am I, send me. Come help me quit, musicians, if you will. See, here's the deal. My desire for you, my desire for you is that you learn how to worship authentically. You know, in our world today, worship has taken its own form. It really has. And I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. I'm glad that we don't have to worship in a cold, dead, dried up place where nobody ever lifts their hands and nobody ever claps their hands and no one ever dances before the Lord. But what I'm telling you is, is that as much as I love modern day music, As much as I love some of the old hymns of the church, this morning I was just thinking about that old song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Man, what a powerful message in that song. Great is Thy Faithfulness, Lord, unto me. As much as I love that, and as much as I love the decorated stages and all those kinds of things, as much as I love that, I can never allow that experience to become what I worship. What I worship must be the God of this universe. And when we do that, and when we have a genuine spiritual experience of worship before the Lord, our life will look very different. Can I just tell you, I'm so proud of this church. I love you so much. I'm so glad that I get to worship with you every week. I mean, from the time that we start pulling up in the parking lot, and there are people already here, and they're they're just moving around like busy bees, you know. Just I've got a job to do, and I've got my thing to do, and the volunteers are in place, and people are praying, and people are crying out to God, and you can just see it all happening as people are taking their position in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God. And when I'm walking up to the door, it's just always a smile on my face because I'm so happy to be able to come and join with some of the most resilient people that I've ever known in my life. And I love it. And I love all the graphics, and I love the videos, and, and, and I love the words on the screens. Man, those screens look nice. I love all that stuff. I love singing the songs. Man, I'm telling you what, I just about jumped out of my skin today when they started singing that song that said, I ran out of that grave. Man, I've been bound before. I know what it is to be bound up by the devil. I know what it is to be in bondage. I know what it is. And when the Lord called my name, uh, I ran out of that grave. Amen. Into the freedom that he has for me. I love it. I love the music that we sing. We don't have a single paid singer on the stage. We don't have a single paid musician. We haven't paid you a dime, have we, Dave? We're not going to start either. Every one of these people that are up here because they want to be here. Because they have a desire to be used of God. We have a prayer team that is one of the most effective prayer teams that I've ever worked with. I remember pastoring a church several years ago that I shut down the prayer team. I told them, I said, I don't want you praying anymore because they weren't praying, they were gossiping. They weren't intercessors, they were storytellers. And I remember walking into the room that day and I said, listen, I love you all, but I'm shutting this baby down. We've heard the last gossip stories that we need to hear. If you're not gonna pray, then we don't need you to be here. They got mad at me and found another church They gossiped over there too. So, you know, it's just the way it is. You don't hear gossipers in ours. I sometimes sit down the hall while I'm drinking my coffee, and they're praying in my office sometimes because the other parts of the church are taken up with other activities. And I just sit there and drink my coffee, and I listen to them. And I listen to their words. And I listen to them talk about the goodness of God. And I listen to them sharing scripture. And I listen to their faith as it builds. And I don't hear them talking badly about anyone. And then I hear them say, It's time to pray. And they begin to pray. And the spirit of God God comes upon them. And they begin to pray in the spirit. And God hears their prayer. And I know this because the scripture says that when two agree is touching anything on earth, it shall be done of them of the Father which is in heaven. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So when these prayer warriors come up and they lay hands on you and pray for you, listen, you better start getting your faith pants on because they've already been in the, in the throne room. They've already talked to the king about you and your circumstance and situation. And if you can have the faith of a mustard seed, God can do for you what you need him to do. One of my favorite Facebook memes that I see pretty frequently There's a picture of this individual, and it has just a mustard seed laying there, and and the quote on it says, be careful. I have a mustard seed, and I'm not afraid to use it. I like that. Listen, devil, you need to know, I see a lot of mustard seeds in this house today. I see a lot of people that they may not have great expanses of faith, but they have a mustard seed and they're not afraid to use it and use it in faith believing that God is able. So I love this church. The fellowship is sweet. Listen, you've never been hugged until you get hugged by Marlo. You've never been hugged until you get hugged by Jane. just have to watch Jane. Every now and then she'll Stick her tongue in your ear. you got to be careful about that kind of stuff. I love coming in here. People love one another and they express the love and joy of living together and working together in this atmosphere, in this, this place where the Spirit is free to work among us. But I feel like there's one area in our church where we really need to step it up a bit. Because the Lord is putting in my spirit that we are living in the last days. And if anybody can preach the gospel effectively, it is men and women who have been touched by the hand of Christ and whose sins have been forgiven. This is not a negative statement. What I'm saying is, is this one area where we need to improve is our willingness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter where we are and no matter what we're doing. I am asking you to do something today that that I really want you to take seriously. If you have not already received one of these today, you're going to receive these as you're going out the door today. I had printed up some of these super Sunday invitation cards. There's nothing spiritual about these in their own right. But what will cause these to be effective is when you decide that you're going to tell someone else about the love of Christ and what God has done for you. You know, it's so easy on Facebook these days to just invite a thousand people at a time. we do. We use Facebook all the time to invite people to come to church. But there is nothing like going to someone personally and inviting them to come to the Lord's house. Listen, it's not about building numbers. You know me well enough to know that I like numbers. It bothers me when I see more brown the way that I'm seeing today than I do people's faces. But we're just in that phase right now where people are still vacationing and they'll all come home. But I'm like any other pastor. I like to be able to come in here and see the crowd big, I like to see lots of people, but there are seasons that you go through these times when people just aren't here. But what I cannot stomach is when we are not actively involved in trying to introduce people to the power of Jesus Christ and how Jesus can change their lives. God has opened many doors for us. He's given us a child care center where we can minister to children. I don't know if you know this or not, but there were three little girls standing beside me today as I was worshiping the Lord. They were all standing there and they were all clapping their hands. They were raising their hands. They were smiling at Jesus. And all three of those little girls, two of them are my granddaughters, but all three of them have been raised up in our child care center. What am I saying? I'm saying that God has given us an open door of opportunity to influence families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want that to come into the church now. I want to see us going up to people and saying, oh, you don't understand how good God has been to me. Oh, He has changed my life completely. And I want you to come and experience what I've experienced. I want you to know the love of Christ as I have. I want you to know the power that forgiveness brings. I want you to know the peace of God that passes all understanding. And when you're going through all kinds of stuff in life, I want you to know that God is on my side. He's on my team. He's my shelter. He is my strong tower. He is able to see me through. And I'm praying that at some point in that conversation, you'll be able to reach into your pocket like I did and say, I want to invite you to my church. I want you to come. I want you to see that I'm not lying to you about how good God is. He's an awesome God. And He is well able to do in your life everything that you need Him to do. And I'm praying that two weeks from today, that this will not just be some super Sunday program that we decide to do in the fall. But I'm praying right now that God will wake this man up that's on the card every night from here to the time that he comes. You say, oh, he might not like that. I don't care. God will give him the supernatural rest that he needs. And that God will whisper into his ear the very things that we need to hear. And that we will have an outpouring uh, of the Holy Spirit upon our lives and in our church uh, that will bring lost souls to Christ and will encourage us and build our faith. I don't want just another program. I don't need just another thing to do. And I want this to be a lifestyle of choice where we say, God, I'm willing to do anything you ask me to do. I'm willing to, to ask anyone that you want me to ask. And so what I'm asking you to do is to take two of these cards. I want you to take two. And I want you to pray over them. We've already prayed over them. The prayer team has already laid their hands on them and prayed. I have prayed on them over them. They've been on my desk all week long, and every chance that I get, I lay my hands and I pray. You say, well, can a card save somebody? Absolutely not, but your influence can get them to a place where Jesus Christ can. And I'm praying that the Lord will give you the individuals that you need to speak to and talk to and invite. And it's not about crowds but it's about a transforming power of the spirit will you stand with me this morning